Welcome to Disability Services Consulting first ever podcast series, a series of six amazing people, disability done different, candid conversations with people we really like, and if you get to listen to it, we assume you'll really like them too. (laughs) Success is the only option. (laughs) Yeah. Your hosts are Evie, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Evie Norfell. And I'm Roland Norfell, and I'm Evie's dad. And uh, we work together, we've worked together now for... Four years? Too long? (laughs) It was always your ambition to never work with me, wasn't it? Yeah. But um, you haven't realised that ambition. We can't can't achieve our dreams. And welcome Maya, our producer for the program. Hi there. We set up Disability Services Consulting, which has been a very successful consulting business, and we set up a training arm. And ever since Evie was a little girl, I've been worried that she would knife me. And (laughs) given the opportunity... Metaphorically speaking. Yeah. Given her the opportunity, she's got a really big ego. Um, Don't know where I got that. She'll get to the stage where she thinks, this guy's old, get get rid of him, how do we get rid of him? And so I brought her into the business with that thought in mind, and it's happening. So I need to find something else to do to keep me occupied, but... She's a part of it. So, <laughs> he didn't think it through fully. No, I didn't think it through That's fully. That's his problem. It's his uh, biggest dream and his worst nightmare. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah so, so yeah, the, the oldest child wasn't available, so um, we got Evie off the couch and come in to do some podcasting. Okay, but we didn't just make a podcast so that we could bicker on recording no. for half an hour. We decided to do this because in the last four or five years that we've been working well, that we've been doing DSC, we've had the luck to meet some amazing people and have some phenomenal conversations. And so some part of the people. impetus yeah. for the podcast was to bring everybody else in on those conversations that we're lucky enough to have. And we want it to be a little bit politically incorrect. Like 30 years I've been in the sector and I'm so sick of people shutting me down. And that's part of the reason of having your own business. You can be a bit more frank about the things that matter. And we thought, well, let's speak to people that are prepared to speak their minds, be just, you know, just be honest about what's going on. So yeah, and I guess that was part of the idea too with disability done different was to talk to people who'd, uh, it, since we're being unpolitically correct, walked a different path yeah. in the sector and and hear a bit about that. And and Maya, you've 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 you're not new to the sector. You've got a brother who has a disability, but you've never been part of the industrial side of the sector, the production side of the sector. And so, what what have you been um, hearing as you've been going through our podcast? Well, I think one of the major things that I've uh, seen while doing this podcast with you guys is that you're real people and you're actually really passionate and you're running a for-profit business, but you're doing it in a way that is of most benefit to people with disability. It's an, it's really opened my eyes to how many great people there are who are just working so hard in the background for people with disability. That's an exciting thing for us because our list mm, of future podcasts is long. We've still got a lot of people to talk to. But one of the interesting things in what you're saying, this shouldn't be another podcast, but basically is... As we're becoming more successful, the tendency is to become more conservative, and that probably that will come out in the podcast we do with John, where bigger, larger organisations have different imperatives, and now we're starting to win some government contracts. Do we tone down our criticism of government? Do we find a different voice? It's 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 complex. If you do, I'll quit. (laughs) (laughs) Straight up and up for you. Because that's one of the best things about you guys. And I think that's something to our listeners, people who have already been engaged with DSC in the past. You're frank, you're fearless, you say what you want, and you say it in a way that puts fire in people's bellies. And that is what it should be about. Mm. So you've been on a huge learning curve, Evie. You started with 
in disability reluctantly. I started in disability reluctantly two, thirty years ago, but yours was mm. a lot less than 30 years ago. No, I didn't want to work for my dad. Here yeah, I no. am. But <laughs> also, you, you know, it wasn't a, a passion for you, but the learning curves um, brought passion out in you, hasn't it? You found a home. You know, I'm not sure that's entirely true. I did come into it with a bit of passion because, of course, you've always worked in the sector, so it's always been very close. Um, and in fact, I did come back because I, I was previously working in international development. I did come back to Australia with a little bit of an idea about disability. It was more working with you that uh, was the <laughs> yeah. problem, what I was trying to avoid. But, you know, yeah. the learning curve has brought out a passion for that, too. It's actually not as bad as I make it out to be. And reflecting on these podcasts... What have I learned? No, not what have you learned. That's too corny, but... (laughs) It's been a lot of fun. I think it's, it's, you know, we've been able to meet so many wonderful people through the course of the time we've been working, but it was sort of interesting for me to see how many different ideas people had that I maybe underestimated. I think in my work now in training, I'm not getting the chance to have so many of these conversations anymore, particularly as we do more online stuff. I'm sort of at the desk a lot more. So it's been nice to get back out in the wild and uh, hear what's really happening. So Nick Rogerson was our first podcast. Oh, Nick. And how, did, how lucky did we strike it? Or maybe it was good planning that we were going to get Nick. You know, Nick's a live wire. Nick's engaging. Nick's interesting. She's passionate. She's parent parent of a, an adult with autism. She's got 80,000 Facebook members. But and she's also just like the best person ever. <laughs> so what did you hear on that podcast with Nick? Maya? Oh, she's obviously an amazing communicator and an amazing innovator and she has opinions and those opinions pack a punch and they are so valid and needed in this sector so yeah this is our first episode with probably one of the gutsiest women in the sector nick rogerson she speaks for herself hello this is a podcast i could do the same joke again Disability Services Consulting. <laughs> we're really excited! Do not keep that in. <laughs> Let's roll. Today we're talking to Nick Rogerson. Nick's, Nick's been involved with DSC in a variety of ways for the last few years, and I remember when I was first editing her bio for the website, I wrote, Nick is a force of nature, and I don't write that lightly because she genuinely is. Nick's been amazing in the way she's set up Autism Awareness Australia, currently with a Facebook membership of 80,000 followers. She was also the founder and business manager of Lizard, Autism centres, and is currently in an extremely exciting, extremely um, secretive <laughs> project with a name called Rock Melon. It's so funny hearing you say that again because I remember when you were writing that bio and you sent it to me to put up on the website, and I called you in tears. Yeah, do you remember? Yeah, I do. I was like, I'm so excited that we've built a business that people like this woman want to work with. Yeah, yeah it's true. She really did. So, how long have we been friends now? Oh my god. Well. Nearly three years. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so quick. Because one of the things, um, even though we're talking about coming up, is that I think it's a couple of years ago now, we sat down uh, for drinks. We might have even had dinner with you. We did. At a group of people at the Menzies Hotel. And as one does, when one has drinks with Nick Rogers and Nick does a lot of the talking. And, <laughs> and a lot of the drinking, yeah. probably, too. <laughs> and you left early. And um, we're all sitting around the table, and I said, quick, 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 we've got to note down what Nick said. There was so much 
magic in business in what Nick's done over the last few years. He can't help himself. We go out to dinner and he's like, what's the five key success factors of that conversation? <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly what I did. So after you left, we wrote down the five key success factors. And, and of- one through four were Pinot Noir, probably. <laughs> <laughs> and I've used it ever since. I still used it. Um, it's just one of those things that just comes back to me. And it's fantastic. And so part of today in the podcast, I'd like to um, go through some of those um, success factors and maybe kick off with one of the ones, the first ones that really struck me. So you talked about the importance of networking and looking at the people and organisations and opportunities to build networks, build relationships and, and really build your business. And that seems to make a lot of sense, except in the disability sector, so many people are dickheads. <laughs> so how does networking work in well, it's funny now, you know, a couple of years later, you're asking me these questions because I, I, of course, don't remember that conversation. Um, uh, but I think at the time, um, it was very much in stark focus for me because I was coming out of um, just having sold uh, that that disability uh, clinic that I'd had for so many years. So um, I was literally, in, you know, within the, that couple of weeks walking away from it for the first time in many, many years. So I think I was thinking about it a lot and thinking back a lot. So whereas over the last couple of years, I've, I've thankfully been able to move on and, and maybe not think about it as much. So I don't know whether some of my answers might be different. Um, yeah, I think what was different for me as opposed to the rest of the disability industry is I didn't come from disability. Um, I, I had no history in disability. My only introduction to it was at the ripe old age of 24, which is how old I was when my son was diagnosed with autism. So I, it's not even like I had had the world's longest career um, to shape up my views around industry and, and what makes good businesses. I, I literally fell into it. Um, and, and obviously it, <laughs> it shaped me once we started and once I started to think about uh, what would work in business, regardless of whether it's a disability business or otherwise. So I, I'm probably not helping anyone by saying a lot of the lessons were the lessons we'd learned along the way, but we also didn't have a rule book we had to adhere to. We could do what felt right. And I guess taking a note out of the parent notebook is that back in the day, and you've got to remember this is this is back in the you know, the late 90s, early 2000s, there wasn't a Google to turn to. Um, there wasn't all of these online products and uh, and opportunities to be able to get information. So we kind of had to do it the old-fashioned way. And, and parents would really meet at the local, you know, community centre once a month and discuss and share. And, and, and that worked so well. And I could see that that was such a great information sharing, networking opportunity once we started the clinic and it was turning it into a business, there was no real reason to stop doing that. Yeah, yeah. So um, for people who don't know, um, Nick ran probably, I, I can't think of a more successful for-profit enterprise in the community services industry. Does it need to remain nameless? Do you want to keep it away? <laughs> no, it doesn't need to remain nameless. It's it's the Lizard Centre, but uh, I obviously don't have anything to do with it anymore. Yeah, but it, it was fabulously successful. It grew and it grew and it grew, and we'll talk a bit about that as, as we go. But And basically, you sold it a number of years ago now to private equity. And um, I always think evil private equity goes um, well together when you say it, but I'm not calling your private equity evil, and and I'll keep you away from making a comment on that at the moment too. (laughs) That's a different podcast, (laughs) and that would go for a lot longer. So obviously successful enough that private equity wants to buy it, and that was after how many years of running it? Uh, We'd been running it for 15 years. And it was very much your baby. It was very much a, a, a source of energy and vitality and... 
something missing that was filling your life? It, it, and, it, and it still remains really hard to talk about because it's a little bit like um, I've, you know, I've let it leave home and it's now living with other parents yeah. and those parents probably don't love it the way I loved it. So it's, oh, a, bit, it's, a, bit, though, it's yeah. a bit hard and I, I have really, really mixed feelings when talking about it. So thanks. By the end of this, I'll probably be blubbering <laughs> mess. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, no, but I, I think looking back, it was it was 15 really, really happy years and um, of running it with a great team of people. So, you know, it was, it was a great pleasure. Yeah. Roland and I were talking last night about your role in the disability sector. We we're reflecting on how it's it's quite interesting that you've gone from being the insider running a service provider uh, as a parent, a provider, and also, of course, as an advocate in your role as at Autism Awareness Australia, to now being in some ways an outsider, but more of like an NDIS outsider, because of, por- of course the, the path that you've chosen post-Lizard is not in service provision. So you've got quite an interesting perspective now from the outside of service provision. Yeah, I really do. And it's interesting, I wouldn't have had that perspective when I was in it because you were too deep in it. it, it being a service provider, is it's hard work, or, or I found it hard work because we were invested in those families. You know, I was personally invested in those kids. Yeah. I remember every single one of their names. I love running into them, um, as I do now. Now they're all grown. Um, it was emotionally really hard. You couldn't go to work and clock on at nine and, and get out of there at four. You would go home and I would tell the stories of what happened today, whether they could be good, bad or indifferent. Um, yeah, anybody wanted to listen or not? Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> In my family, they've heard all the stories. Um, so I, I, I think... I think that that's true, but when, but looking back now, I think, my goodness, we never gave ourselves a break. We never stepped back far enough away from the day to day to really have a look at what we could have changed, what we could have done differently. And now being very much an outsider, um, I have so many different views. I'd do it so differently if I had my time over in saying that I'm not doing it again. <laughs> Yeah. But if I was going to do it again, there's a lot of things I'd do differently. Well, you know, Which, we have to ask. <laughs> what? <laughs> so I just want to just reflect before we do that. What? But you got a lot right, and we'll come back. Uh, we'll come back to it. You've got a hell of a lot right. But yeah, what would you do differently? Um, I think what we did um, uh, is I think we had two sides of the company. We had a clinical side, and we had a business side. So the clinical side would go away and do whatever it needed to do clinically, and I would give them carte blanche. You go, guys, tell me what best practice looks like and what those kids need, and the business side will be me, and I'll go figure out a way to afford that or, or lose less money over that because <laughs> that clinicians uh, really, honestly, don't understand um, a, a profit and loss very often. So, um, I, But I think in retrospect, we split those things up too much. I, I think that sometimes we let clinicians make decisions that – um, were so clinical, they didn't always have the parent as the focus. We had the child as the focus. And we were really, really intent on that being, you know, important. We'd say to parents, guess what? We don't really care about you. You're not our client. Your child is our client. Mm-hmm. We're going to, we're going to tell you the truth all the way along the line, whether it be you like it or not. Um, because our reputation, uh, comes out of how well the children do when they're here. But in, Looking back at it now, I feel like we let the clinicians go a little bit too far on their own, whereas we on the business side, particularly the fact that so many people working on the business side were parents with lived experience of disability, I think we could have 
been more demanding. I think we could have piped up. I think we, I think we would have come up with great products around training and services that the clinicians wouldn't have thought of because it wasn't their life. They weren't living it. Now I think there's a lot of additional services we could have had that yeah. would have gone into the home and helped parents a lot more. Um, I'm proud that we focused on the kids, but I feel like sometimes if you are a strong parent and a smart parent, um, you had the time of your life and, and you would call yourself a lizard family, you know, and proudly brand yourself as that. But we probably lost some parents along the way who were a bit vulnerable and who weren't up for the task. And, and maybe I feel a bit guilty about that. Uh-huh. And when you're talking about clinicians, you're primarily OTs and speech pathologists? Uh, look, we had a mix. We had a lot, predominantly board certified behavior analysts. Um, which is a, is a master level um, qualification. So they, they made up the majority of our staff, um, but also speech pathologists and some OTs over yeah. the years. And in my experience, those guys are incredibly hard to manage, incredibly hard to <laughs> get to do. Get I to... hope none of them are listening to this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, it's twofold. You know, I love the fact they love their science. Right. They are dedicated to their science. It's a, a, a BCBA and a, a Applied behavior analysis, you know, I jokingly call it a cult, but it can be to some of these people. You know, they're dedicated to their science and um, I'm so impressed that that's how they are because their dedication to professional development and not just merely coasting is to be enormously admired. Um, Again, one of the other things I do differently now you bring this up on this topic is we had great humans. We hired great humans. And when I say that, like, I want your CV to tell me how smart you are. I want to see how many degrees you've got. But uh, I care about the size of your heart more than the size of your brain. Are you a good human? And do you have any emotional intelligence? Those things rate so much higher with me and your communication skills with parents rate so much higher than me than, than what your academic background is. The one thing I would have done differently is I would have fired the wrong people sooner. Yeah, that's, that's certainly a lot of yeah, life as yeah. well too. I think, and I, I think in disability, because often we're so desperate for clinicians yeah, yeah. and we want to keep them coupled with the fact it's a, a highly feminized workforce of women of a certain age who will go and have children yeah, yeah. and interrupt their careers for a while. So when you're running a service, you're trying to hang on to these people. But I think sometimes service providers do that to the detriment of just saying, you don't, you, you're not a culture fit here yeah. and I needed to get rid of you. And I think for, there was a couple of cases where we kept people just too long. Yeah. That's so interesting. When we talked about those success factors with you a couple of years ago at the drinks, you talked about voice and authenticity. And um, I know you've got a degree in politics, but you're, um, you're got a first love is PR. And you seem to be from the school of there's no such thing as bad publicity. And you'll <laughs> jump on anything that moves where other people are ducking for cover, where there's really bad news autism, you'll find Nick Rogerson making a comment. That's gutsy. But isn't it also dangerous? Yeah, absolutely. It can be. And I think probably... Um, you guys probably don't see the stuff I don't comment on. So okay, you, you sometimes just, I don't. You don't comment on everything. Yeah, no, I don't comment on anything, <laughs> uh, everything. Okay. Um, but, but also, most of the time, I just do have an opinion on it. You know, if you're the parent of a child with autism, you live with this every day. You know, Jack's with me every day and will be for the rest of my life. He's the most important you know, person in our lives. Our whole family focus is about Jack mm-hmm. and then all the Jacks that came after him. So when there's a discussion around autism to have publicly, why shouldn't I be in it? I mean, who has the right to be part of a public conversation because you're part of a CEO of a large disability service provider or um, you know, who has the right to talk about it? And sometimes people walk around on eggshells. If I have something to say about an issue, I'll say it. What's disappointed me over the years is because I love a public conversation, Roland, you all know, I mean, yeah. I'm happy to talk on this podcast, always happy to talk. I 
how do, how do I and my radio announcing husband have a child that has a communication disorder? I don't know. <laughs> um, I love having public conversations and public policy conversations. What's disappointed me over the years is when I've spoken out about something and turned around to look at the autism community behind me, crickets. Yeah, yeah. Crickets. So if I speak up about an issue, and a lot of the times it was about funding and, and not properly supporting families, were there other disability service providers, all of whom much bigger than me and getting in receipt of many more government funds than I was ever getting, mm-hmm. um, did they ever stand with me shoulder to shoulder? No. Most of the time it was just crickets. Mm. So you know what? If you people are going to be quiet and need a committee before you decide what your opinion is on something, I'm going to take your airwaves. A question I really wanted to ask you, Nick, is... It's really about business success, and there's so many people that write books about business success, usually commenting on other people's success, sometimes commenting on their own, about how incredibly clever they were, how incredibly um, smart they were at making the right decisions at the right time. Very few of them reflect on luck, and that night, again, over drinks, you went straight to right place, right time. How much does luck play a, a, a role in your success and in general business success, do you think? Well, I probably have a different view on it now, a couple of years later, a couple of years down. Um, it, it's funny, I don't know that now I'd refer to it as luck. Um, although, you know, that we were, they're just the right people at the right time all came together with a shared vision, and if that's luck, that was. I, I suspect if people of similar views and, and similar motivations tend to find one another in the same place anyway. Um, no, it, it, it's funny. Uh, there's it, A couple of people would have a different view on this, but um, how were we successful in business? Well, um, I think the answer is we weren't in that it just wasn't a motivating factor. Remember, my business partner was a clinician. Um, she couldn't have cared less how the business went so long as the door was open every Monday when she arrived. I mean, she had just no visibility over it, how we ran it as a business. And, um, you know, I was essentially somebody with no business background trying to work it out. Um, how do we keep it going for that long? Um, I have no clue. Sometimes I look back and think I have no clue. But I also think that's what made us a target for private equity is uh, those guys walked in and thought, oh, you pack of women know nothing. <laughs> you know, we know how to run a business. Yeah. Um, they we're going to take your brand and we're going we're gonna to make changes yeah. and we're going to make it efficient and we're going to finally make some money. So, um, And I was okay with that view. I, I, was, I wasn't offended by that. Go with God. But I was sitting there at the time of the handover saying, there are reasons why we did certain things. And there are certain things in disability that you have to consider that you don't in other business. And if you lose them, if you lose the customer, if you lose the parents, if you lose the most important people as part of your brand, no amount of marketing can buy that back. So I think my view of it is, were we the best business women in the world? No way, shape or form. But does somebody with a business background, are they infinitely better than us? Well, I think... We'll see where they go. Yeah, yeah. Nick Rogerson is not a woman to be underestimated, I think, is the role of that story. Yeah. I want to pick up on the right place, right time comment because you started Lizard now 20-odd years ago and today is a very different place, a very different time to be starting a business like Lizard. Reflecting on the differences between those two times, how would you go about starting Lizard if you did it today or would you even start Lizard if... You were. Oh, I get asked to start a lizard every second day. Uh, <laughs> no, I've done my time. I, I think there's a couple of things. I, I think it would be a lot harder now in a lot of ways. I think what was easy at the time, it was probably a bit of youthful naivety. Um, I was heavily motivated 
um, in the year 2000 by the fact I had a, a child diagnosed and a child having therapy. And one of the things that I saw, which is one of the reasons, to be honest, why we built Lizard, was there was this army of women in Sydney. They were behaviour analysts and speech pathologists, and they were essentially working out of their cars. They would drive to families' houses, mine being one of them, and start doing therapy with kids, and then they'd do a two- or three-hour session, and then get in their car, and they'd drive to somebody else, and we'd pay them hourly, and that's what intervention looked like. And I remember thinking, these girls are so good. They're so smart. They take care of about 10 families in, in Sydney. They never get a sick day. They don't get paid holidays. How are they ever going to have a family of their own? And it's probably just me being a really good working class girl uh, from a poor background. I thought, oh, my God, none of these girls are going to stay in this industry. This is this is like being a waitress, but they're wasting their amazing brains on this model that's just not going to keep them. And how could we lose their brains? So um, that's when Elizabeth and I just, uh, I guess, just took a leap and said, let's build a centre and let's hire them full time, which was you know, panic worthy and only youthful naivety would I say, yeah, sure, we'll find the money. The people will come. But guess what? The people did come and then the staff did stay. And and one of the proudest things about Lizard is we just had so many people who had long service leave. (laughs) They'd stayed 10 years. That's how you know people, if you've got a great organisation, how many of your staff are getting long service leave? Like it's a really good indicator. And, And to this day, um, the lizard originals, as we call, we call ourselves the old dragon ladies now. Um, you know, I still see them socially. Our staff are still really close. They're, they're a great network of people that no longer work for the company, yeah. but we were there. We built it together. They built it with us as much as we had were building it ourselves. So, Nick, we'd like to, to wind up. We've got more material than we need, which is fantastic, and it's, it's been a, a great experience for us. I want to just tell people what those six points were. The points were um, networking. A voice and an authentic voice with that, being in the right place at the right time, having the evidence, being authentic as you obviously are, specialising in disability, in therapy, in age, and in postcode and in income. Those are, I think, they're just critical success factors and they're wonderful. But I'm just wondering if we could leave people with um, a way to keep in contact with you through Autism Awareness Australia, which has 80,000 Facebook members. And tell oh, us, yes. Do, do a little plug for Autism Awareness Australia. Autism Awareness Australia. Awareness Australia. Yeah. yeah. Dear Autism Awareness Australia. Um, it, it, it's fantastic. I'm really proud of the work we've done there over the last 11 years. And really, we, we don't get any recurrent funding. We, we live on sort of donations and luck. That's another whole podcast. Um, but really, the good part about running a non-for-profit that it's very tiny is you can kind of just go project to project and do the stuff that's worth doing. So at the moment, we're about to release um, a really fantastic our second documentary, which I'm really excited about. Um, so yeah, you can always keep in contact with me at, at Autism Awareness. But I, I think... It's how, Facebook, isn't it? Yeah, it's Facebook. It's online. We're on Twitter. We're funny on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> we're, on, we're on Instagram. We're, we're on all of it. Um, so you can certainly follow us. In that space, really, we're just talking about policy and try and get good quality information and be a source of an independent source of good quality information right. uh, directly to parents. And, and that's kind of the goal of what we want to do. That's great. Great. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Nick. You've been listening to DSC's podcast series, Disability Done Different, Candid Conversations, and wasn't it fun? Wasn't it candid? Yes. For our friends who may want to visit our website, and you'd be over the millionth person to do that, go to www.whogotthisdomain. <laughs> Disability Services Consulting, all one word, .com.au. And we've got a sensational weekly newsletter. It just seems to get better, that stuff that we put out in the weekly newsletter. Well, If read. we do say so ourselves, yeah. you can find a link to subscribe to our newsletter in the show notes. Mm-hmm.